Welcome to the Liberty on the Land podcast. This is Curtis Stone, episode 22 with James Corbett. Today's episode was recorded live April 12th at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube. And I don't need to introduce my guest too much because I do in the recording of the live stream that I will play after this. But I was very excited to have James Corbett on the show. I was on James' show uh, a few weeks prior to this talking about homesteading. And I've been listening to James Corbett for a very long time. And if you are somebody in the truth community he probably doesn't need much introduction because he has produced so much content that most likely you have seen some of his stuff before but i'll let the stream roll from here enjoy the show all right welcome to liberty on the land episode 22 with james corbett and if you are in the truth community, James Corbett really needs no introduction, but he has been telling the truth for, to my knowledge, 14 years. I've been listening to James for about 10 years, and uh, James has spread so many red pills around the world that um, it's hard to keep up with. And I got to say, James, for the time that we're in right now, how does it feel to be so right about where we are right now? Absolutely soul-crushing. Um, <laughs> what could possibly be better than the idea that I was wrong about all of this all this time and my silly rantings about medical martial law back in 2008 were just the ravings of an unhinged lunatic. How great would that be for humanity? But uh, here we are. Hey, here's a question. Let me turn the table since I like to interview people myself. Do you remember what was the first corporate report thing that you saw or the first link that you got sent? Um, oh man, it was so long ago. You know, the older stuff, I don't think I have as much memory of because I was watching you uh, on YouTube when it was like the early days of YouTube. And, uh, oh, geez, I, I think it probably would have been something in and around the Federal Reserve because that was one of my biggest red pills. And then I discovered G. Edward Griffin. And I think I discovered him through you, actually. So that probably would have been it, but to remember which specific episode, yeah. I don't know if I interesting. Say. Yeah, but as I say, everyone has their sort of inroad into this, and it's always interesting to see how how they get into it. Yeah, I know, and um, you know, it, it's it's amazing with the times that we're in right now because the, the the MSM, the media, they like to call people like you and myself conspiracy theorists, right? But isn't it interesting um, for somebody like you who's been paying attention to the words of the globalists for so long. You've been reading their words. I, I'm beginning to think that it may, maybe conspiracy is not the right word. I mean, the conspiracy theorist term, of course, is a loaded term. It's meant to dehumanize us and all that. But it isn't really a conspiracy that we're in because it's always been right out in the open. It's just that people have been con uh, told to not look at anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that surprises people about my work when they first start getting into it is that how much I'm quoting, quoting these people. Uh, you know, I, I, I've I told this recently, I'll tell it again. One of the best pieces of criticism I ever got about my Federal Reserve documentary was, well, this is just a lot of Federal Reserve documents and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's their own words. Exactly, exactly. right. I'm not, not really digging in a, any secret information from the bottom of the ocean here. No, this is, this is stuff that's out in the open. I've tried to repopularize the term recently, the open conspiracy, which yes. was used. It was a title of a book by H.G. Wells, better part of a century ago where he was writing about the open conspiracy. We need an open conspiracy of yes. the scientists and engineers who are going to order the world and brotherhood of man and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. He was speaking in a very specific context. But I think that concept needs to be repopularized because I, I don't know, I guess I do, do move in 
in, in not non-normy circles. So I I don't I don't know to the extent to which I have my finger on the pulse of the general public, but I I like to think that the conspiracy theorist label is losing its luster and losing its effectiveness in shutting down people's minds, especially with what we're going through right now. And anyone who questions any part of this is a conspiracy theorist. Oh no, oh, please don't call me that. So, um, I, but the more that we can popularize the idea of the open conspiracy, and so much of this agenda is talked about openly and written about, and here's the documents, go read them, go read Absolutely. the World Economic Forum website on the Great Reset. It's, yeah. This is not conspiracy theorizing, this is just looking at what they're saying. Yeah, it, it, it literally is. And um, it, it's so it's so amazing too, when you look at, it's to me, I mean, th this is my perception and maybe this is because I haven't really started researching things until the last couple of years, but does it seem to you that things, they, they seem to be opening things up more? Like, yes, these things have been written, like you cited H.G. Wells, you can read Bertrand Russell and a lot of these other psychological psychologists and things like this that have been talking about this stuff forever too. But does it not seem like it's more, they're, they're waving it more in our face or is that just my perception in my little circle? Yeah, no, again, it's a d difficult question because I can't step outside of my own, like I do this for a living. So I, I don't know if I have a, a, a sort of outside perspective on this, but it does seem, it certainly seems there's an acceleration going on. I think anyone would see that, even people who think it's all good. But at any rate, clearly global events are, are escalating and, and accelerating. And I think part and parcel of that is that things are becoming more and more out in the open and things are becoming more blatant. I mean, just just as one tiny slice of that, I mean, obviously we're Canadians, but looking at the American political circus of the last several years and seeing, you know, the mainstream respectable, hey, we're the journalists sitting on clouds, newspapers and, and you know, the New York Times and all this outright coming out and saying, we have to take this specifically adversarial position against this particular political candidate in this particular moment of history, because, you know, whatever, the, the internment camps are coming and all of this nonsense and seeing the freak out of it. Uh, I don't know what the perception there is in Canada, actually, because obviously I'm in Japan, but it just, it's, it's so, it's so obvious. Yeah, no, things are getting blatant, but they're putting it out on the table. Yes, there is, there are agendas at work here and you are going to be told what to think from now on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, it is blatantly obvious, uh, at least to anybody who hasn't been uh, deeply indoctrinated with this sort of, uh, you know, the political correctness, the critical race theory, a lot of that stuff, because and even the sort of the environmental, basically sort of the liberal intelligentsia that's coming out of universities that are supposed to be the smart people seem to be the ones that are the most bought in to this whole thing. But but what I meant more with that, that question is that as somebody like yourself, who's been doing research for 14 years, like so for example we just had this document that's become popularized i saw jay dyer talking about it the other day um the spars pandemic did you read that one 2025 i did i read it several months ago yeah and it's it's been around for a while um you know and then we had event 201 and they've done these kinds of things before but had they always war gamed these things out that close to when they actually roll out Yes. Wow. <laughs> In a word, yes. CorbettReport.com slash 911 Wargames. You can find out all about the 911 Wargames that all just happened to coincide and revolve around the day of September 11th. It was not a normal day of aviation by any stretch of the imagination. But even more specifically, and even more on the nose, Dark Winter, which was uh, wargamed out, I believe it was June 2001, where they were wargaming out a terrorist uh, smallpox attack on the United States and how how is the government set up to respond to this and what are we going to do and how are we going to roll out the vaccines etc and some of the very same players who were playing in that scenario that was held in June of 2001 were the very same people who were then advising the Bush administration on what to do with the anthrax attacks in October of 2001 and uh, then they went on some of those exact same people as I documented in my uh, work on COVID 911 corporate COVID 911 some of those very same people who were in that exercise and then were advising the Bush administration, then went on to work on an interagency uh, task forces uh, that recommended the creation of this new uh, directorship on, under uh, one of the departments in the White House that was gonna coordinate pandemic response, et cetera, et cetera. And then that person 10 years forward gets appointed by Trump to head that office that they helped create that is overseeing the COVID response. 
I mean, it's there's a there's a whole historical continuity, and yeah, I, the war games and things are always going on, and it's always the same people infesting them and and simulating the exact things that they're later playing out in real life. It's it's absolutely incredible. I don't know how much you know in your research. Um, have you really spent much time researching the law? Is in kind of getting into reading statutes and acts and like you know you're a Canadian have you ever spent any time reading any of the Canadian documents like the the interpretations act and things like this where you know Canada's on the water you know there's no right. jurisdiction right, like right, have you ever right, gone right, down right, that right. rabbit hole I I am very familiar with the edge of that rabbit hole and I do recall um when I was first getting into this one of the first documentaries I remember was called uh, bursting bubbles of government deception and it was a Canadian in 2000, I, I want to say 2006, that was when I was watching it anyway, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, one of these Freeman on the land type of people, okay, yeah. the Freeman name and all of that, and getting into all of this and talking about the, the legal rabbit hole. And yeah. I, was, I was very interested in it at that time. I have, over the years, of course, I know about that, but I tend to see it as not distractionary per se, but I do see it as a false trail to lead people into ultimately playing the game because it I, I see people continue to be led back to the idea that oh if you have the magical right words or you don't write your yes. name in block yep. capitals or if you you know you, you whatever you argue this in the court of law and they can't do anything to you ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. of course there are a million counter examples of that and i've played some of them before of the judges saying uh, someone's trying to say well you're not talking to me you're talking to my birth certificate and i'm a, right, i'm right, the right, person right. and blah 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 and the judge yeah. says i don't care if i'm talking to you or your birth certificate or whatever tell your birth certificate it's going to jail and they gamble yeah. it down and that person right. gets hauled away it's about unlocking the minds of the enforcement class that is making those legal games real and yep. yes, point out their games and show that it's all a system. And if you're, you know, by the letter of the law, this shouldn't be this or blah, blah, blah. But the if they have the minds of the enforcement class, it's just a game. It doesn't matter. It's not going to fundamentally change this. Totally, totally. I agree. Um, in my in my searchings of uh, in the law, and I've, I've done some things that actually did get me out of situations with particularly with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency back in 2016. It's when I kind of started to learn this stuff. And it's actually what inspired me to start this Liberty on the Land podcast, because that was kind of where I was coming from was this sort of metaphorical Liberty on the Land, which is, you know, justice for people that live on this land and my experience as a farmer. But um, one thing that that I found in law is that when you get into the legal maxims and which are the kind of the roots of law, you find things like a truism in law, which is disclosure has to be given in a contract. And in our system, everything is contract law. This whole system is a commercial system. Everything is compartmentalized, commercialized, commodified. That's where the birth certificate is, all that stuff. Um, but it's interesting when we talk about things like the sparse pandemic document or event 201, to me, I almost look at this from a legalist standpoint that they're actually just giving us disclosure to cover their asses. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I agree with that perspective. I think there is an element of that. Um, sometimes it's put esoterically that there's, you know, some sort of esoteric principle that these people adhere to that they have to tell you what they're going to do to you. Yeah. You know, some sort of cosmic principle or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't see into the hearts and minds of uh, other people, but um, yeah. there is some of that that plays out. And there generally is with major events like this, there are the things that you can go back to and point to and say, look, they said it and now yeah. they're doing it. Why are uh, you surprised? Yeah, Vaccine passports was, I mean, the EU had a whole strategic document that was published a couple of years ago, specifically for the 2021, 2022 time period, they were going to introduce vaccine passports. And here we are. Here right? we are. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, there's so many things I wanted to talk about here. I wanted to know a little bit more about you personally in your own journey with this, because, you know, you've been in the public for, it's, has it been 14 years, Corporate Report? Yeah. And uh, 2007. Yeah. Wow. Man, crazy how much time goes by. What was the first thing that woke you up that, that were you, like, I guess I want to know a little bit about what you were doing before you you know, became James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. What woke you up and then what pushed you in to be like, I have to talk about this? I guess I could give the standard response or I could give the more cheeky response. I mean, in a certain <laughs> sense, uh, wake waking up maybe is 
is not the right way of putting it. Maybe I'm the type of person who is always going to question the authority and always right. going to question the official story. It's just certain events kind of triggered that in me. And I could point to things from my childhood where clearly I wasn't just going to swallow the whatever line I was being fed. So there's there's that aspect to my personality that that was there. But I mean, really, the the sort of the standard origin story is that in 2006, I was living in Japan. I was an English teacher here, um, minding my own business, as it were. And I, uh, I moved into a new apartment here. And the apartment came with an internet connection. It was the first time in years that I had had internet in my home. Um, I'd had to go to internet cafes or whatever to get my emails and to browse the news. But now I had internet in my home. I could browse to my heart's content. And so between that time that I had had internet before and now I had it in my home again, suddenly there was all the, like, it was a different web. It was web 2.0. It was YouTube and Google video and all of these services that were popping up that were definitely shaping the World Wide Web in a different way. And um, uh, me being just sort of politically interested, I would gravitate towards this sort of political content. And it was definitely watching documentaries and things along those lines and then seeing I, I I've talked about this before I did a, a podcast a couple of years ago on uh popping the filter bubble I think it was called where I talked about this experience I had where I was watching YouTube videos at that time and I kept getting the recommended viewing you know, sidebar to 9-11 truth related videos and yeah. I would click on it almost as a kind of uh like a joke oh what what kind of nonsense is this going to be and to be fair, a lot of the videos that I clicked on were jokes. So we're just yeah. nonsense about, look, the flying orb knocked down the towers and all this kind of stuff. And so I could laugh at it and go on, you know, go on with my business. But then I, I there was, I, and I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was a single video, but there were some videos that made some points that were intriguing. And I thought, well, that can't be true. And it wasn't until I started looking some of that information up. And one of the things I often talk about, it wasn't the only thing, but I often mention this because I can remember this, Operation Northwoods, hearing about Operation Northwoods, this plan to commit and stage terror attacks and blame it on the Cuban government, even painting up uh, uh, aircraft to look like regular civilian jets, blowing them up over the sea and then blaming it on Cuba as a way to gin up a crisis in order to invade Cuba. Um, proposed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, talking about staging terror attacks, even on US soil, bombings and things like this in this document. And, uh, and JFK, all he had to do was sign it and he didn't sign it. So it didn't go ahead as planned, but it was there on his desk. And, I, and hearing something like that and going, well, that cannot, that's crazy. I would have heard about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then going up and looking it up for myself and seeing, oh, oh, I can actually read the actual document. It's been yep. declassified, it's online. I can actually yep. see that for myself. Yep. How come I've never heard about that? That's weird. And it was that process. It wasn't until I started engaging in it in a way that even if I was trying to prove it wrong, oh, that can't be true. But once you start digging for that information and finding it and seeing the actual sources, then it's just a question like completely, uh, that was the moment which really I started to the, 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 the scales fell from the eyes I fell down the rabbit hole whatever analogy you want to use yeah that's where it started tumbling and because it was 2006 and because so much was happening online and so many of these new services were happening and I I was just getting into podcasts and things and I'm like well I've got a I my initial impetus was I just got to share this information like how I've never heard this stuff and I consider myself well informed so I need to share this with other people and they will see this too um, and so my initial impetus was like, literally, I, what do I do? I'm, I'll start burning CDs of podcasts I'm listening to and hand them out to my coworkers here in Japan or something. But I, that just seemed kind of useless. Like, what's that going to do? I'm like, well, it's the internet age. I could start a website. I could start yeah. a podcast. I could get this out to people around the world, right? Yeah. You know, who knows? Whatever. Yeah. So, and, and I had never, never once in my life to that point contemplated starting a website or a podcast or anything. I had no intention to do it. But once I had that idea, it was just like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Started setting up the website, started planning out how the podcast was going to work. And then within, within the span of months, I was starting this. Wow. And, and how long did it take you till you could actually make a living as a content creator? Like, did you exist so as an English started, teacher for many years there? Yeah, I launched on June 1st of 2007 with episode one of my podcast. It wasn't until I think 2008 or 2009, I maybe uh, somewhere in there, I had a, like a pledge drive kind of thing or a fundraising drive because I needed a new microphone 
and then I needed to upgrade my hosting, that kind of thing. So like $100 here or $200 there right. kind of thing. Yeah. It wasn't until 2011 that I even created a subscriber option, $1 a month to become a subscriber, which at yeah. that time literally meant nothing. I literally yeah. had nothing. And then I felt bad about that. I'm like, well, I got to do something. So I started a subscriber <laughs> newsletter, but I don't, don't want to put anything ever behind a paywall. So even my subscriber editorial is available for free. And I always wanted that to be the case. I never wanted to put any information behind a paywall. You're not paying for secret access to the secret documents. That's, right. that's nonsense. If you like the work, you support it. So it was 2011 that I started that. And at the same time, I had an offer from um, Global Research in Canada to do a video production for GRTV that they were starting up at that time. Okay. And uh, then I got a... Uh, 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 involved with boilingfrogspost.com, which is this whole other story. But anyway, I was doing a, a weekly video report for them as well, plus uh, the subscription money. So it was just barely enough to justify at that point in 2011, making that leap into full time and not knowing if it was going to work out, not knowing if I'd be able to make a living out of it. But I'm, I, w I made the leap anyway, and well, uh, I've been doing it for a decade now. So wow. It worked. wow. So here we are. And you obviously you you have a family and a, and a wife. Are you married in, in in Japan? So you now have a now you're you're staying there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, I there there for several years. I was like, well, should should I think about moving back to Canada? We could move back to Canada. I even talked to my wife about it. She was open to the idea. Yeah. But at this point, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty much Japanese in all but actual legal documentation at this point. Right. And is your job? Are you fluent in Jap Japanese as well? Fluence is another one of those words I have problems with because <laughs> you can get um, there are there are areas in which I can have conversations and then the areas where I just don't have the vocabulary. And interestingly enough, one of those areas where I just don't have the vocabulary is politics because I don't I don't talk or read or, or engage with people on politics. But if you ask me about like school life here in Japan, I can tell you all about it because I was a teacher. Right. So I know right. all of the lingo and everything. So right, it, right. fluency is a weird concept. But yeah, I can certainly get by and day-to-day -day life here. right and what and what do you think have you left japan since this whole rona thing started or have you been there like since yeah no I, my last trip was uh to anarchapoco in mexico february of last year so hey literally i uh as i got it was when i, I remember going to the airport in tokyo to go to mexico and it wasn't until that point that I saw some foreigners, not Japanese people, but foreigners wearing masks. And I was like, oh, right. I'm supposed to be scared of this new thing or whatever, yep. right? <laughs> yep. Go to Mexico, have have fun there for a few days, come back. And um, and within weeks, it was, you know, locked down and yep. you're not going anywhere without getting injected and whatever. So I haven't been anywhere since then. Wow. And I mean, what what is the general life like in Japan right now? Like, is it... Are they are they shutting down businesses where you are? I mean, it could be different all over the country. But yeah, it, it's one of those things. It depends where you are, and uh, I think there's a very different experience in Tokyo and now Osaka, where there's a hot spot and all of this. And um, but one thing that that was interesting, um, Japan has not until this past February had any sort of enforcement even possible legally um, for any sort of restrictions or closures. Uh, back last April, March, end of March, April. Um, they, there was like the government did shut down libraries and public offices and that kind of thing for a couple of weeks. Um, and they asked, they have throughout different states of emergency in Tokyo and other hotspots, they have asked businesses to close like bars and restaurants to close at 8 PM and that kind of thing with no actual legal enforcement possible of it. Hmm. Um, until this past February and some new legislation was passed that supposedly allows the government or it's prefectural governments, not the national government, prefectural governments during states of emergency to ask businesses to close and to enforce it with fines. And interestingly, which is almost, almost meaningless because there was like 99.9% .9 compliance with the voluntary measures anyway, right? But there was, I was reading about one um, franchise chain and I think it's only in Tokyo, or I, I don't know it in my part of the country, but they had uh, uh, dozens of restaurants or whatever, and they had complied, but they were there. I think they are still now suing the, the government um, again about those measures. You can't fine us for attempting to stay open or anything. Although I think they are complying at this point, but 
there is at least one legal challenge to even this. And, and really my experience of this has been that um, in my part of the country, pretty much absolutely nothing has changed in my day-to-day -day life, except now when you go outside, it's like 99.9% .9 of people are wearing masks 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, there's outside no too, that. even there's outside no people are wearing that. It's just, everyone does it. Wow. Um, but other than that, there's no closures or anything going on right now. And at least in my, my part of the country, which is kind of a rural area that most Japanese people don't even really think about. Rural Japan's beautiful. I've never been, but I've, I've always been fascinated with Japanese culture and uh, it's, it's beautiful. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's not much different than everywhere else. Cause generally speaking, I find like anything with um, the state, the state is often, well, has always enforced its worst at the concentrations of, of um, population, which is where you have the most amount of government, right? So generally speaking, in most countries, even some of the countries that seem the most tyrannical, Canada being one of them, Canada is a total globalist country. However, when you're in the rural areas, it's kind of like anywhere else, really. Yeah. Where, so with your... I haven't heard you say, well, I've, I've heard you say this in some ways, but I'm just kind of curious on what do you think is next? I mean, we, we talk, okay, we know, we know about the vaccine passports. That is pretty much clearly on the table. But um, I mean, you've talked about Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 and things like this for years. Do you, in your opinion, is this really about that agenda? implementing that agenda 21 the sort of the inventory of everything the the surveillance state is this like a 10-year plan to get us to this absolute precipice where we're living in a, a brave new world yes uh well um yes but i i don't know if i would put prime primary importance on agenda 2030 in particular i think that is sort of an accurate roadmap of where they want to take us but i don't i don't think it's necessarily a hard timeline and I don't think it's it's the be all and end all. It's just an example of the kind of ways that they will take this woolly rhetoric that sounds good in the sort of you know happy clappy way that it's presented to the public, but when you actually look into the details, is horrifying. And I think it does reveal it reveals sort of the bigger bigger agenda game plan. Which, if you want to look at the bigger, I mean, I don't have I don't know the timeline on this. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think the ultimate wet dream for these people is to lock citizens down into more and more contained divisions of you are allowed to live in this space in this particular way, you are allowed this type of activity, we're going to ration, we're, we're going to have to carbon ration you, which means we're going to have to control what you're doing and how far you're going every day and you know who you interact with and everything else that you can imagine. Uh, you're going to eat synthetic meat that we produce in labs that will be decreasingly nutritional and will lead to all of these diseases that then we'll blame on whatever invisible boogeyman we want to, which will lead to further restrictions and blah, blah, blah. And that's sort of the preparatory stage, I would imagine, to the switch from the soft kill to the hard kill, because there has been the soft kill going on for a very long time. Um, I think deliberately so, although that is somewhat conjectural in nature, I have to admit. But it does seem interesting when you see um, people like the, the, the Charles, I always get this wrong. I should really just look this up and memorize it. Charles Darwin Galton or Charles Galton Dar Darwin, who is the grandson of Charles Darwin and, um, who wrote about the next million years and said, you know, usually it takes a million years to, to evolve into a new species. But now with all our whiz bang science, we can do it in the course of a century yeah. and we can do it through modifying people's diets or uh, using injections or blah, blah, blah. And that was echoed by Bertrand Russell writing about the yes. impact of science on society, diets, injections and injunctions. So yeah. that game plan really is to, and, and as I say, it's, it's been going on in a sort of soft kill way. Um, oops, did, did somehow some sort of cancer virus get into the SV40? Um, uh, vaccine that was being used uh, for polio. Oh, how did that happen? Oops. Yeah, right. know, <laughs> or um, uh, of all of the different chemicals and plastics they could have picked to say line every food container and every plastic bottle and everything that you've ever drank from and touched your, you know, pretty much your whole life. We just happened to pick this BPA that just happens to be an endocrine disrupting chemical that was actually used for its estrogen mimicking qualities back in the 1930s when it was first synthesized. And somehow or other, it just ended up in all of our food containers and all of our products. And now for some reason, we're facing the end of human fertility as it's being portrayed by some uh, people, even in the Guardian, they were writing the other day about 24, 
by 2045, there will be such an incredible decline in uh, fertility rates that we are facing the end of humanity. But just by, you know, it's it was just, just a coincidence that all this stuff ended up yeah. in our environment. But that's the soft kill. That's the sort of long, like yes. long game kind yep. of cancers and stuff. But at some point, the hard kill comes. And I, I, all of this gain of function, biological warfare research and all of this that's been going on to develop the perfect bioweapon, uh, I think has been going on for some sort of reason. And I, I would suspect that at some point, some shadowy terrorist group or the Chinese or whatever, whatever boogeyman we blame it on, released this horrible bioweapon and now it's killing millions and millions and millions. And you know, now we now we take total control. And um, And at that point, once they've already set in the infrastructure for the experimental gene therapy, whatever, um, to be injected in everyone at the drop of a hat, then you start altering, literally altering the human species, altering the genome, um, yep. gene editing. It, it's all, that's, that's the big game plan. And, and it, it does really come back down to this um, fascination and obsession the globalists have had with human population reduction, right? This goes, this goes way back. This goes way back to books written uh, close to 100 years ago. And what, what do you think it right, is? 200. 200 years ago. Thomas it, Malthus. That's right, Malthus. And um, which has been proven wrong so many times over. The, the, pop, the, the population book, Bomb, that was his seminal book, right? Uh, yeah, Paul Ehrlich, uh, 1960s, writing The Population Bomb. And read, I would encourage people to actually read that book and the crazy predictions of what crazy the UK was going to look like in the 1980s and all yeah. of this. Completely, 1,000% wrong, but he's still hailed as this scientific god. What was, what was Malthus's uh, seminal book then? That was before The Population Bomb. Uh, uh, Thomas Malthus? Uh, I can't remember the name of his essay on population or whatever, um, oh, but right. he was writing in the uh, the turn of the 19th century, um, a, a British parson who was also connected to the British East India Company, um, who was writing about, oh, but food is increasing arithmetically, but population is increasing geometrically, and therefore, dot, 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 you know, in 20 years, we're all going to be starving to death and dying and he was wrong of course but it has yeah. been and and i don't think malthus necessarily originated that idea but it's the most famous instantiation of it for the scientific age anyway and so it has been sort of the underlying it's been so deeply internalized by the public that i find this weirdly enough when i first started this i thought i would get the most kickback about 9 11 or that kind of stuff but actually a lot of people were receptive to that information at least in the circles i was moving in at the time when i started the website the most pushback i ever get is whenever whenever i try to question the narrative that humans are a cancer on the earth and we're all destroying everything and uh, humans are horrible and we need to reduce the population when i start pushing back on that narrative i get the most vitriolic uh, sort of responses from people yep. who I think have been programmed to internalize this idea. We are oh. a cancer. We need to die. Man, and I that's can... what I call the blackest pill. I had a, a yes. video last year about the blackest pill. And yep. I think that's it. Um, once people start internalizing, we need to die. Mission accomplished for the people who want to kill you. Right? Oh, absolutely. And it's it. I can tell you as a guy who uh, started as a, as a pretty hard lefty, coming up as a Marxist, uh, my mother was uh, a card-carrying member of the New Democratic Party, which you would be familiar with. And I grew up in socialist. And I, I voted NDP in my I, one and only federal national election that I voted in. Did you? Yeah, I've, I voted for the NDP too way back when. But I, but I grew up with, with these people and I went to university with these people. And uh, I even when I first got into farming, I hated capitalism. And I can tell you, all of my circles of friends that I hung out with back then, None of them ever wanted to have children. None of them have children. And they literally think they are a cancer. They think human beings are a cancer on the planet. And they're self-loathing. And it's just, it's, it is amazing. It's like you said, the black pill. It's like you've been so propagandized and indoctrinated that you literally want to kill yourself. But not so much to literally actually go and do it. Just to kind of like externalize it so that it's exactly. other people. Right? The yeah, police like. other people. You can't have children. You're the That's problem. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my life making sure that you don't have a life. It's Absolutely. so, yeah, it's bizarre when you step outside in it. It's very compelling. It is, uh, especially now with where we are in this. We've had four years of Orange Man bad, right? And, and, uh, 
it's what you think about Trump doesn't matter so much, but what, what the media did at that time is they kind of corralled all of the, anybody in the truth community, anybody who was sort of maybe like a, a gun toting patriot, anybody who was not buying the left's soup of propaganda, they compartmentalized and corralled them all over in this area. So that, and, and it's, isn't it so perfect in the way it went? in that the media just for four years ran this script so that now with where we are now, they, they, they laid out the groundwork so that anybody who questioned this narrative and this thing that is so obviously a, psych, a massive psychological operation was, oh, they're just a conspiracy theorist. And that's pretty much all they need to say. And you write people off, oh, you're a Trump supporter, whatever, whatever. I had a guy on the street the other day who talked to me in front of my garden, called me a Trump supporter because we were talking about this. I'm like, we weren't even talking about politics. It's like, what? But that's- You're not even American. Like what? Yeah. (sighs) This is what the propaganda has done. And what you've been talking about for so long is how these psychological operations work over time, especially. It's yeah, it's very frustrating to be able to see this and to see it happening and still not be able to prevent any of it from taking over the minds of other people. But um, but you're I mean, it's it is you're exactly right, because a, a, a few months ago, there was this. Um, oh, sorry. Am I slowing down for you? Then? No, you're OK. OK, um, a few months ago, there was a report by some scientists who Uh, We're doing research on YouTube and classifying different YouTube channels into far-right extremists, far-left extremists, and centrists. Uh, Centrists. And guess guess which channel got in the far-right extremist category? The Corbett Report, of course, because I'm this far-right Trump (laughs) supporter, right? Um, uh, Which is, I mean, it's just nonsense on so many levels. Uh, it, including because my extras channel, my my backup channel, which is still up actually, by the way, yeah. will be gone sh- soon, I'm sure. But that channel got classified as centrist. <laughs> I don't know. No one, sh- no one tell these researchers, but it's the same guy. <laughs> I'm the same human being. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, when I actually read the methodology that they were using, um, they s- explicitly said uh, any sort of you know obviously you know white nationalists and and anti-Semitic and blah 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 and and conspiracy theorists. And they said, so anything that fell with the conspiracy tag was in, lumped into the extreme right wing, yeah. which is interesting. I mean, it, it's just interesting the way this all gets categorized uh, scientifically, of course. Yeah, and then, and then of course, the, the whole big broad brush to paint out everything the same so that in the minds of the average person who will just read a headline about a report, oh, there was some scientific study that found evil right-wing conspiracy theorists on YouTube are doing blah, blah, blah. I'm glad they're getting rid of them. And yeah. that's that's what this is about. It's about painting the narrative. As yeah. long as you control the narrative, you control the population. And yeah. they were starting to lose that narrative over the past decade or two because of independent people coming up online. Oh, the people are speaking. Oh, oh, make them stop. And now they're making them stop. So this is what the game is really about. It's everything else is is periphery. It's all about the narrative and yeah. whether or not you swallow the narrative you're being fed. Absolutely. And I have to give you credit because you called out the Trump thing the whole way through. You were one of the only guys in the truth community, and there was others for sure, but you were one of the only guys that was pretty much consistent calling out the BS. And and maybe it's because at your core, you're such a an anarchist that you're just like anything from the state is bullshit, which I'm with you on that one. But um, a lot of a lot of people in the truth community really got sucked into that because there was a lot of, you know, there was some things in there, particularly mostly rhetoric that would, you know, people would go, yeah, well, you know, he's doing something and he's and he's um, he's going to save us. <laughs> yeah. Opium. Opium works all the time on almost everyone and i understand why who doesn't want hopium it yeah. worked on so much of the population in 2008 oh obama the oh, black jesus is going to save us yeah. oh he's only 46% black oh whatever anyway yeah. he, <laughs> close enough and then uh, trump oh you know he's the savior he's going to save us I, people fall for it every single time um yeah. they just need the packaging to look right yeah. um that's a sad reality and one of the most indicting parts of all of that was uh i did my precedent trump yes that was uh, a great video a few people should weeks check ago out. 
basically summing up what what I've been saying since 2016. I did a 2016 podcast on how Trump filled the swamp, talking about all the swamp creatures he immediately appointed into his administration. And oh my God, it turned into a swamp administration. Who would have thought? And so um, I did my summary a few weeks ago, President Trump. And in that, I just played some of the clips of just, here's what candidate Trump said, and this is what President Trump did. Here's what candidate Trump said, and here's what President Trump said. Oh my God, a, a candidate was lying on the campaign trail. Yeah, I never right. would have thought. <laughs> but the most interesting feedback I got from that was from Trump supporters who said, I never, I didn't know he 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 didn't go through through with that, or I didn't know he, he recanted that, or I didn't know he said that on the campaign trail. It's like, yeah, yeah, because what are you looking at? You're looking at your little echo chamber of people who are just on board with the hopium. So again, it's all about narrative and just crafting the right narrative for the right target audience. And we're in the stage where literally, I think they can start employing not just the the sort of general cast all social media bots that we know are being run by various militaries and intelligence agencies. We have years of documentation of that. I did a report on the weaponization of social media talking about the Canadian military and others openly admitting they, oh, yeah. they employ social media bots. Um, not only that, but we're getting to the point where I think they can literally start tailoring your internet experience for you specifically based on everything that Google and all of these corporations know about everything you've ever seen and searched for and everything you think and everything you type. It's all being compiled and it's going to be used against you and they're going to create the perfect filter bubble for you that will give you the exact narrative that you need yeah. to keep you within whatever controlled paradigm they need as long as you're still in that online space and that's where you get your information yeah and that's why they want everything online right because yeah, then it, exactly. this is this is ultimately this is farming right it's just it's just it's just caged animal feeding operations everything is compartmentalized and categorized and controlled and yeah. ushered over here and corralled over here. And I think people really need to be aware of that. And I think it's important, especially in this day and age, to have a life offline and get to know people offline because yeah. Yeah. this could get to a point where we could all disappear or disappear into our own little tiny bubble echo chambers where it's just ourselves and talking to a bunch of bots. It's like a black exactly. mirror episode. It is human farming. That is the best way of putting it. And uh, unfortunately, by people who've been thinking and studying this for a very, very long time, openly writing about it in the open conspiracy for generations, and have successfully engineered the public into thinking, that's conspiracy talk. I'm not going to look into that. Um, and yeah, you're, I mean, I, you're exactly right to pinpoint that it's that's why they're moving everything into online. That's a huge part of this biosecurity state they're putting in is to eliminate as much human contact as possible and replace it with the online equivalent so that they can intermediate and control every transaction and interaction you ever have and, uh, and better study you and then better feed you uh, whatever narrative they need in order to, uh, to control you that way. And that's why I think uh, looking back, the swine flu of 2009, was a test run in a lot of different ways. The public yeah. health emergency of international concern, those kinds of things, those kind of triggers were being pulled, but clearly the main trigger was not pulled for the 2009 swine flu. But they, they openly talked about things like uh, pr uh, engineering a shortage of vaccines in order to uh, make the public want it more. They, they, they're they right. openly talking about that at the Council on Foreign on, Relations. On the CFR, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here we are. Um, but yeah, so I think that was a, like, like a test run, but they couldn't have pulled the trigger in 2009. They no. can now because of the smartphones and the apps That's and the, right. the digital infrastructure exists now that did not exist even 12 years ago. And they, it's, going back to the Trump thing, they almost needed that four years of Trump to set the stage to have it so that people would be so have a knee jerk reaction, just like when you hit your knee at the when you go to the doctor to anything that, that questions this narrative, that that's the thing that's amazing about this. And I see it all the time because it's because it, it just goes to show you how, you know, we talked about near the, at the beginning, how it's not really that much of a conspiracy if everything they've done is it's all out there. It's just that people have been so programmed to not question anything. It's like that woman from the, uh, what was the NAACP in Chicago who got up there recently? See that one? She's like, I'm going to go get the infusion and I'm not looking at the ingredients. I'm not questioning. It's just like, wow, they can be so, they're so, I, I, my, my hope is that in their arrogance, that's what, that will be their downfall because it's almost like I, they're so open. Yeah, I yeah. really hope, but it's so hard to, to believe that at this point, given how far 
this is already gone. And uh, I just in the video that officially finally pulled the plug on my main YouTube channel, I was talking about an uh, op-ed written by Peter J. Hotez, who's a big vaccine yes. enthusiast, shall we say. Yeah. Um, the anti-science movement is escalating, going global and killing thousands. And in that op-ed, he explicitly ties it back, of course, to Trump. And it was these right-wingers yes. who started this right-wing trend towards mm -hmm. anti-science and blah, blah, blah. And then he starts talking about you know, Southern California and all of these mums that were trying to opt out of vaccines and like, oh yeah, that Republican stronghold of California, right? <laughs> like it, the, the pieces don't add up, but it's, a, again, it's the narrative. It's the narrative they need so that anyone who questions it, you're a, you're a crazy Trump tart or whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's you right. know, it works. It works to, on a lot of people. That Peter Hotez is quite amazing. I remember driving in a car with my wife and we were listening to an episode of him on Joe Rogan. And it was, that guy will turn you into an anti-vaxxer more than, than anybody <laughs> in the, do you know what I mean? He, I do, he sells yeah. it yeah. so poorly and yeah. he, and he hides yeah. information and he's also grotesquely like he's unhealthy and disgusting. And he's, yeah. there, I mean, I remember in that podcast, yeah. he's getting kind of self-righteous to Joe Rogan being like, well, you, you're, you're crazy. You should be getting your vax. And then Joe's like, but dude, you do you even get exercise like what what do you, what's your diet he's like i i'm uh i'm what some people call a junk foodaholic <laughs> it's like he's sitting here telling you that he's so unhealthy doesn't get any exercise all he eats is junk food and his child was injured by vaccines yeah. and he won't even yeah. admit it so yeah, it, it's exactly. almost like the yeah. guy's a plant like i don't know there's some kind of divine intervention sometimes that puts these yeah. guys in there no i hear you and and yeah his maniacal manner is off-putting for anyone who's got any sort of BS detector. And and uh, I think Gates as well. Like, Absolutely. could you ask for a, a worse spokesman for this agenda than Bill Gates? Who looks at that and trusts this man when he's talking about, ah, they'll, they'll, the next pandemic will get them. Ah. Like, it's it's crazy. It's it is insane. crazy. And it's, you. Uh, that's one thing I have to say. We've got almost 800 people watching here live. If you guys haven't seen James's series on uh, the history of Bill Gates, you have to check it out. It's very thorough and it's absolutely incredible how buttered up he was for this role. And the thing that the, the correlation you drew, and I may, maybe it wasn't necessarily a correlation, but you did a really good series on the Rockefeller uh, medical tyranny, all the stuff they set up and how they did the same Houdini mood a move with with rock with the what was the original rockefeller's name um no uh john d john or, d or do you mean his dad the snake the literal snake oil salesman. the snake oil the literal yeah. snake oil salesman devil How, devil jim yeah and but also you know it was also john d because they he had oh, such okay. a bad image and then he went and did those things where he's handing out coins in the street so to change his image bill gates said the exact same thing because he was such a shyster in the software industry he was totally ruined in the media. And then all of a sudden he's a, this great philanthropist wearing pink sweaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to the point where I remember before I released my Gates series, I even had someone in the comment section of my own website saying, well, no one really disliked Bill Gates. He's he's a good he's a good guy. Most What's so wrong with Bill Gates? I remember thinking, really? Like, I, I, even from the normiest perspective, as, you know, growing up as a, as a teenager in the 90s, I knew a lot of people hated Bill Gates and everything he represented, especially in the IT world and the monopolization of the, the OS and all of that. Yeah, no one, I don't think he had a lot of goodwill back in that time, but yeah, no. clearly it's changed in the last couple of decades. Amazing what a few billion dollars here and there will buy you. Well, right. But is, isn't it ironic how the guy's business model was software was basically to create such a shitty platform that had so many back doors that he would have to sell you the updates and sell you the solutions all the time. He's essentially doing that with the medicalization of all these vaccines is because yeah. people think yeah. that I, I don't know how anybody thinks this now, but people literally think that if they get this vaccine problems going to be solved, no mask, no social distancing. No, no, no. They're telling you straight up and you've documented this very well that you're going to need to get a bunch of vaccines and that, and that vaccine passport is going to have to be updated, right? This is, this is that same old business model of, the drug dealer getting you hooked for free and then you're a customer for life. Yeah, and and I know this has been remarked before, but I'll point it out again. Um, Moderna has literally, the CEO gave a TED talk in 2017 saying, we are hacking the software of life. 
yes. talking about mRNA is a software, you know, yep. that, and we can, we can go in and hack it and, it, or, you know, code your OS, your body to create these proteins and things. They're, they're literally talking about it in those terms. And Bill Gates comes along and says, hey, you know, I'll invest in that. And then suddenly becomes the man that everyone's turning to. Bill Gates, tell us what will happen next in this pandemic. It's, yeah. I, I, if you made a Hollywood movie out of this, no one would believe it. It's so far over the top. It is. But 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 don't you think that Gates is really just a front guy? Because you look at the people with his father hanging out with the Rockefellers and tied into Planned Parenthood. There's a lot of big players behind him that really oh, of at course. the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. He's just... I never want to give the impression that I think Bill Gates is the top of the pyramid. He's no, no, the no, one. No. And let's take out Bill Gates and everything will be... So no, of course yeah. not. That's ridiculous. No. That's cartoon level. But I, I think he's just a great way to, for this sort of average person to see the agenda because everything he's funding he's like a hub and all of these yes. different spokes to all these different parts of the agenda and they all connect back to bill gates funding which again where did bill gates funding really come from how did he really get into the position that he got in was it just a stroke of good fortune that ibm came knocking on his door you know and it, did that all just oh it was yeah. all just a coincidence no i mean there's there's deep more to that and i i do go into that in the gates documentary but um but just like literally everything you can think of not only the global health issues but education and so of course who did cuomo turn to in new york state when it's suddenly like well we got to shut down the whole school system so how are we going to teach kids online let's turn to the bill and melinda gates foundation because that's exactly what they work on yay yep, and exactly. uh, buying up he's now the largest single farmland owner in the united states but james it's only a tiny percentage of the overall farmland it's not a big deal yeah <laughs> okay well all those dismissals that people make and uh oh yeah and uh oh he's uh, funding experiments experiments to block out the sun <laughs> literal evil genius billionaire sort it's of just, car cartoon character stuff yeah you, you, and it's just so amazing that, that that whole statement sounds so ridiculous but that's literally what they're doing it's just this whole thing has gone so far i just don't think any of this wouldn't have been possible without trump because trump sent everybody over to the intellectual gulag you know to be to be painted that way from the media and everybody else they can literally get away with the most insane things. And like we have Joe Biden, like they're all crooks, but Joe Biden is, it's literally like weekend at Bernie's. He's a completely zombie Manchurian candidate who is obviously doing brutal things constantly, but people are, they're not even like, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I wake up in the day and I just go, I can't believe that we're here. Yeah. So, yep. Um, I know you, you don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to ask you one last question that, that I've been curious about for some, some time, because I've always really admired how you present, research things and present them. I'm curious if you could share with us a bit of your methodology in how you actually go about doing research. Like, what are some of the first things you do when you want to like look into something because I've seen you present on legal things. You go right into legal documents. You go into historical historical documents all over the place. What, what are some of the things that you do to actually go at a subject and start into I think, it? Yeah, I think the key is to, um, to be reading the news and reading articles and things and saving them. I really think that's a huge part of it because I can then, after several years, I can go and say, okay, what do I know about Gates? And I can go into my Bill Gates folder that I have in my research folder on my desktop. And okay. I already have, you know, dozens of articles and things that I've read over the years. And I'll go, oh yeah, I remember that. And I remember that. Oh, what about that? And didn't I read, didn't I see an interview where he did that? And then, and I can, at this point, I can even use my own website and look up something that I've forgotten I covered over a decade ago. <laughs> I've done that before. Like, oh yeah, there was a Gates interview that I talked about that time. And then I can look it up on my own site. Um, but just staying with it over a period of time, and having some system for saving it, people are always like, how do you save it? What's the way to do it? I don't, I don't know. I, if you have a terrible memory, maybe you need to have a really great organization system. But yeah. if you have any sort of memory and can even access that, then you start to collate all of that data. And that will lead you in different directions. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good article. But they, they mentioned this document. So you go out and you find that document. Or, uh, you know, uh, I should do, I, I, I read Bill Gates's father's bi autobiography as, you know, part of my research for the Gates series and that kind of thing. Like, go to the obvious places and use that as a branching off point for, they mentioned this document, they talk about this person. And then you can start to find your path through it. And at some point, 
uh, for me at any rate, part of the brilliance of all of this and the amazing thing is that I do a lot of this work essentially for myself because I have found over the years when I am able to articulate something in a podcast or in an article or something, when I can actually explain it, that's when I actually know what I'm talking about because I have to sort of piece things together and be able to connect them and make it into some sort of thread that I can lay out point by point so that I can direct people through it. And I can't, so in order to get to that point, when I'm going through all this research, I could just read forever, right? But at some point I have to be like, okay, how am I gonna present this? What, okay, I'll put this piece here and I should connect it to this and then I should show them that and that'll help them to understand this. And so that process helps me to find out in my own to, to make a path through this research in my own sense. So it's always having sort of that end goal in mind actually mm -hmm. helps me. So my advice to everyone who wants to research is start a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not necessarily, but it's a good way to sort of sort out what you're researching. How long did it take you to compile that, that, that Bill Gates series, that four part series? Cause that is so extensive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Especially when you know anything about video editing and you know yeah, how much well, goes into thing. Documentary style, like not just me talking in front of a screen, but documentary style, every minute on the screen is at least an hour in editing. And, you know, that's two hours or whatever. That was done in one month. That is nearly humanly impossible. Um, me and Brock were just working flat out. Oh, so you month. have a guy who helps you with editing? Yeah, yeah. I have a video editor, Brock West. Um, uh, he just did a, a couple of interviews people can look up and see about him. But um, yeah, we, so literally I, I, I research it, I write the script, I record it, I send it over to Brock, the recording, and uh, we talk a little bit about, you know, I, images or backgrounds or that kind of thing. And then generally he, I kind of let him do it. He'll put something together and images okay. and stuff, and then we'll go through it and we'll, uh, let's take that out. No, let's use that. Let's, and we'll, we'll tinker with it a little. And then I get it back and then I post it. So um, generally speaking for something like the Bill Gates documentary, that, that would take months and months to put together. But we did it in one month, which is, oh, I'm not sure I'll ever be able to do that ever again. But the four um, parts, like you the mean the four parts? And, and there's four parts to that, isn't there? Yeah, four parts, 20, minutes, 20, 30 minutes each. So, and it, so part of what actually made that possible was breaking it into parts and okay we're going to do part one this week we're going to do part two next week and having that goal made it somewhat more manageable but um like the bill gate uh the big oil documentary um the first part was about 70 minutes the second part was like two hours or something um that that kind of thing like the the first part it took a few weeks or a month to put it together but in a certain sense you could say i was doing it for a decade because that was sort of the culmination of research that I'd been doing for the, by that point for a decade and getting a piece here and getting a piece there and sort of, it was all gestating up here and it kind of came out in that form. So, you know, in a bigger sense, all of this stuff is culmination of decades now of research, but it, sitting down and writing it and recording it and editing it is the horrible part. And I always wish I just had the magic remote control. I could just fast forward time for a few weeks and get it until it's all done. Yeah. That is not a fun process. Wow. So I, one thing I'd like to wrap up on is just, do you, because you know, your content is waking a lot of people up and it has for a long time, but now that you're getting filtered down in like you're off YouTube now, you're getting this is what's happening to all of us who are telling the truth. It'll, it'll happen to are, me. Are we eventually. still on YouTube at this point? Yeah, we are. We 800 people right. watching. We're still here. We're still Your channel's going to get struck for this. I'm yeah. Sure. Um, well, I, I, I self-destruct all of my live streams anyway. So I, I, I've prepared for this. But um, do you see much value at this juncture where we are in time? Do you see much value in waking up people that are, are totally not on board or do you find it more valuable to kind of steer the people that are already kind of here in the right direction? Yeah, it's a very good question. And um, I'm not 100% one way or the other. I'm not maximalist in either position. Uh, I think there's always value to at least putting out whatever your truth is in the way that you see it to other people. Don't be shy about it and don't try to hide it and don't be strategic about it or whatever. Just state your truth and back it up. Um, so people who will respond to that will respond to that. The time for sort of being 
an outreach evangelist and hey, like, let me lead you into this information, that time may have come and gone because uh, I something that I've thought about for a long time since I started this work is what if I hadn't gone down that rabbit hole in 2006? What if I had just continued on with my life and done whatever? and ended up somewhere else and not looking into any of this stuff. Would I have been able to do that? Would I, would I have inevitably ended up here? And throughout the 14 years I've been doing this, most of that time, 13 years of it, I could have said, yeah, I could imagine I could have gone into some something else or become a writer or whatever. But over the past year, I cannot imagine any conceivable universe in which James Corbett is just oh, oh, okay, there's a big pandemic, so we'll all wear masks, and oh, I better take this experimental vaccine, okay, whatever. I can't, I cannot imagine that anymore, and I, I'm having a harder time imagining how someone could be that far gone in the narrative, and still have the hope of waking up. Like, at this point, if you don't see it, I don't know what can possibly, we're, we're this, I, I think of this as a separation event for humanity, it so I, I, I'm not, certainly I'm not spending my time with all this outreach. Oh, I got to reach out because that, at least for me personally, after 14 years of doing this, I think that part is, is behind me. If I hope people will continue to pick up the breadcrumbs I've left along the way, I hope it will continue to reach people. I'll still put it out there for people, but I'm not, that's not my main concern. Yeah, now it is the question of how do we build up the alternative? That is the only question that matters at this point because yeah, yeah we know the problem. We know there's a problem, no doubt about that. What do we do about it? That is yeah. that is the game for all the marbles. Yeah. Well, the, the neat thing about what happens to somebody like yourself over time is it's like that uh, you drop rocks in the pond and the ripples go out and the ripples kind of compound and they it's like so it's like you're not necessarily having to go out and evangelizing because you you know when you do your show you get right into it you don't you don't do what a lot of other creators do is they try to bring new people in all the time you speak to the audience and people have to catch up to you but your fans will sort of do the evangelizing for you which is which is great when you can have when you could create a movement and then people are out there yeah. doing it for you they're doing the hard work and they're they're on the, the front because with this I, I think we're moving into this sort of medical apartheid system um we're all going to have to save our energy because this this is going to get tough and yeah. it's amazing how fast it's another good going. phrase you just came up with there medical apartheid i like medical that. yeah, apartheid that's, that's right on the button um well, human farming and medical apartheid is a good title for <laughs> farmers man we think about these things when we're out in the field working all day we got time to just like think about this stuff i one last one james did you happen to see that email that came out in october it was called the liberal leaked email the lpc leaked email I have did. you looked back at that recently to see how bang on it is I haven't. I, I remember them talking about COVID twenty one or something in that, weren't they? Yeah, they they talked about COVID twenty one, but they which they're just calling it variants, right? So that yeah, yeah, the, yeah maybe yeah. maybe the language isn't. But basically, there is a they laid out these twelve things basically on where this is going, and I wanted to share this with you real quick. Um, I'm going to pull it up on the screen here, and it is unbelievable how bang on this thing has been. Can you see that? Yeah. So basically we are in uh, what a lot of people are calling right now. Um, they're actually starting to do this transition people to UBI because they just voted on it. They, they put universal basic income, which was back here in uh, this. I, I made it on this little timeline because I have to visualize things, but I, yeah. I put all the text in the email on here. And I'm not saying this thing is gospel. I don't know. How, how can you prove it's real or fake, right? It, it is what it is. But I started really paying attention on this one, six, when they when they brought in this uh, a bill for uh, universal basic income called Bill C-273. And then more lockdowns came and then more maxing out of the hospitals. Like it is... Here in Kanakistan, man, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I didn't put a lot of uh, stock in this simply because it's one of those things that's unprovable and you don't it's know where to yeah. come from. Um, but I also am wary of that kind of thing as being a potential predictive programming agent for people who are aware. Like, okay, so people are looking for the sort of inside skinny on what's going to happen. Well, let's let's tell them and let's 
do it step by step. So it seems so inevitable so that they know step 12 is coming. You know it, guys. Step 12 is coming and you better prepare for it mentally. You better gear towards it and keep your eye fixed on that pothole in the road because it's coming because we told you in this super secret document. I don't know. I just see the way that that kind of thing can be used to predict, uh, predictively program people into going along with the agenda. It's interesting, but they do, they, they tell us in their open documents too. So if this is like a secret thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's layers of this and at the open conspiracy, as I say, the bigger, the sort of the big picture is out there, but of course this specific agenda points and we'll implement this on this date isn't always necessarily in black and white. Of course there are, I mean, there are things that go on behind closed doors and everyone, everyone is fixated, fascinated by the secret documents like who cares about all the uh, on the record stuff the secret thing Ooh, that's that's secret where did it come from who who put that out there for what purpose uh, i don't care I, it's, it's secret so i i i kind of rebel against that type of info when it gets leaked yeah yeah <laughs> i i appreciate that i just i i sit here and look at what's going on in this country and it's just i mean it's not really going rising anymore yeah if, if for yeah. those of us who've been paying attention and reading the words of these people, none of it is surprising because they've been practicing for this forever. But uh, here we are. Well, James, this has been great, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, for everybody listening, um, James, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you now that you're no longer on YouTube? Yes, yeah, go to YouTube.com/slash Corbett Report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, don't go to YouTube. I do, as I say, I do have my backup channel still functioning as we speak right now. I'm not expecting that to last very long, but anyway, um, don't go there. Go to CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. That is the one-stop shop for all of my work. That's where you can find it, and I link from there to the other platforms where I post. Library Minds Bitshoot Archive.org. Um, probably adding some more in the future, but CorbettReport.com is the place to go. And when you're there, wow, there's an IPFS banner on the on the sidebar at the very bottom of the screen. Go to there and just click on that, and you'll see what looks like a regular web page. And you'll think, oh, is this just the Corbett Report home, homepage from a couple of weeks ago? What's going on? But there's this big long URL there, IPFS.io/slash blah 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 blah. Just bookmark that. Because that is my IPFS backup of the entire, well, the, the site and more specifically MP3 and MP4 files on the site. So that when and if CorporateReport.com goes down, the servers get taken down, whatever, the IPFS will still be there. As long as someone is out there hosting it, it will still be there. So uh, that's a good backup in case this information ever gets uh, burned in the Library of Alexandria. Wow. Okay. Being prepared. And, and you have been. You've seen all of this coming. So... Excellent, James. Thanks so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me on. Take care. If you enjoyed that episode, make sure to head over to libertyontheland.com and put your email address in there just so you can stay up to date with these podcasts. I don't put them on any other podcasting platforms, mostly because this is kind of just a side thing for me and uh, it's not my full-time gig. So that's just how I'm doing it. You can also, if you are a fromthefield.tv member, you can also find all of these episodes there. And I also post them on BitChute and now on Odyssey, which has actually become my favorite alternative video platform. And this one was streamed live on YouTube, as I do sometimes with these Liberty on the Land episodes. But they are deleted shortly after to prevent this channel from being put down the memory hole as well. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.